Today I'm joined by former soldier, adventurer and endurance athlete, author and charity fundraiser Jordan Wiley to discuss making your mark on the world. Jordan's extreme feats of endurance to raise money for charity have taken him across the world to some of the most dangerous places on the planet. I find out from Jordan what drives him to carry out such extreme feats of physical and mental endurance. How positive action is such a big thing for him rather than simply talking about doing stuff and the complicated backdrop to the Middle East and what he has seen in his time in the region. We also delve into how Jordan deals with anxiety, depression and epilepsy so he can conquer his dreams in life. We discuss his current adventure going on right now which is paddleboarding the coast of Great Britain. Hi, I'm Joe Horton and this is Guild of Dads. Hey, you over there. Yeah, I can see you. Come over. Sit down and join me as I'm about to have a conversation about you. A conversation about what it means to be a dad, a role model and to live a life of meaning. About your physical health, how you look after yourself, contribute to the world around you and raise our next generation. A conversation that will shape the vision you have for yourself. Forever. and welcome to Guild of Dads, your weekly discussion around being a dad. The only UK podcast and movement designed to help dads like you find purpose, fulfilment and meaning. We tackle the issues that matter to dads, including mental health, relationships, physical health, spirituality and contributing to the world. I speak to guys that are dads themselves and we also speak to experts in each facet of a dad's life to help you level up and become the man and dad you always wanted to be. But you have to take action, and the easiest way is by making some changes in some small areas to get some quick and easy wins and confidence under your belt. Just pick a few changes in each area of your life and take action today. Our conversations on here are designed to be thought-provoking, to make you reflect on your own life and really think about what your life means to you but also give you the tools and resources to go ahead and really smash it. Right now, there's never been a better time than during this period of change and reflecting that a lot of dads are going through during lockdown lifting to craft a plan for your future. Every now and again, you come across someone who is making such an impact on the world and in such a prolific way that you have to find out more about them. Such a thing happened to me when a previous guest introduced me to Jordan Wiley, who is my guest today. I'm not going to spoil it by revealing too much, but instead, let the conversation reveal all. Jordan Wiley is a former soldier, best-selling author, extreme adventurer, and also one of the stars of the Channel 4's BAFTA-nominated and award-winning shows Hunted and Celebrity Hunted. As a soldier, Jordan saw service in Northern Ireland and Iraq and upon leaving the army, he worked in maritime security where he gained recognition for his role in protecting a ship from Somali pirates. In October 2019, Jordan became the first person in in history to row solo and unsupported across the most dangerous straits of water on the planet, between the Horn of Africa and Yemen. 
Jordan has also successfully completed numerous major charity expeditions, including the highly publicised Running Dangerously, which saw him run through Afghanistan, Iraq and Somalia, and Barefoot Warrior, which involved climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, the world's highest freestanding mountain, completely barefoot. He has raised over a million pounds for charity, and some of his expeditions have been made into documentaries on Sky TV. Since his time in the military, Jordan has battled with severe depression, chronic anxiety and more recently epilepsy and now campaigns to remove the stigma from people suffering from mental illness. At the time of releasing this podcast, he is paddleboarding the entire coastline of Great Britain to raise money in order to build a school for children in Djibouti. And Jordan is also a dad himself. And now for my conversation with Jordan. Jordan, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a a real pleasure and an honour to be invited on the show, so thank you so much. Likewise, likewise. Um, Your your, uh, journey and your story is like incredible to say the least, and just kind of doing the research for this uh, conversation that we're going to have this evening, just some of the places you've been, the, the things that you've seen, and... Uh, just some of the experiences that you've had in the last few years have just been amazing to like the you know to the to the average Joe. But I wanted to ask you first and foremost, Jordan, where your kind of journey of exploration started? Because I know obviously you started off in the army and then you spent a bit of time out of the army um, in maritime security. But where you started to kind of get that kind of craving for exploring different places and stuff? Yeah, I think. Um... I think the spirit of adventure has always sort of uh, been within me, even growing up. I, you know, I was never, I was never one of these these kids that sort of loved going to school or sitting in a classroom. I, you know, I was terrible at school, if the if the truth be told, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not proud of that in it, uh, at all. It's something that that you know, if I uh, if I could do things again, I'd certainly done a lot better at school and applied myself. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not proud of that. But I was always the type of kid that wanted to go camping, go fishing, go climbing a tree. Um, uh, so I think it's always been there, and then I just think as you as you grow older, as you get maturer, uh, you know, you, you want to take on bigger projects, bigger adventures. You want to go to places that that people haven't been to, try things that that, that haven't been done before. And I, I think that sort of inquisitive sort of mind within me, yeah, I, I've always been someone as well. I think that doesn't really like to to follow the crowd. I like to sort of go in the opposite direction, and <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm a, I'm a bit of a nonconformist. I don't know, but. I've always just liked to to try and discover myself uh, things and especially when people say you can't do something I think it's a great motivator to say well let's give it a go and see see how we get on so Mm. yeah it's it's always been there and I guess the last few years I I think I've I've been in business as well I've had my own business and things in the past which caused me a lot of stress and you know all the things that come with running a company and I just I think that the the nature the outdoors and, and adventures give you something that that no success in 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 you know monetary or, or materialistic terms will ever give you. I think there's something quite magical about you know, the mountains, the oceans of the world that mm. that you get something from them that you can't really quantify in words, um, and it, and you know no paycheck can 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 cover that or, or or whatever it is. Any no social media following or any awards or pay rises, you, you can't get what you find in, in 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 the spirit of adventure. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting you say that because. A previous guest I spoke to, Andy Torbit, we we kind of unpackaged this whole idea of the kind of natural world in a man's soul. 
And I think it kind of, it really ties into that kind of, that very sort of evolutionary sort of biological need to be out, you know, to be outside. And I think that in the lockdown period, a lot of uh, people have rediscovered that and it's almost acted like a kind of, uh, it's it's anesthetizing kind of isolating feelings of being, you know, away from, away from friends, family, relatives, work colleagues, and being isolated from the outside world. I think nature has got this intrinsic value to it that, that really does, there's there's almost a medicinal value deep inside you that nature gives us something that nothing else can really you know what i mean i completely agree and like you say i think in this this sort of pandemic this lockdown this this crisis what we've been through it's people have, have, have sort of sort of had a look within themselves and and they've been very sort of you know going for walks more camping out in the garden going for swims in the in the local rivers the lakes whatever it might be is people and that's because they've had to and they've been forced to but I think people are starting to enjoy it and embrace it and you know we're living in in, in a sort of uh, an age now where where you know teenagers children they're they're obsessed with things like technology and the iPad and and the, and the mobile phone and uh, and actually we're, we're as guilty as them as well so we become these terrible role models that, that also sit there with all these gadgets and they think it's acceptable because we're doing it and you know and and, and it's I, I, I always say to my daughter, I always try to say to young people and my daughter, especially, you know, let's think about bikes and hikes, not likes and swipes. And, and let's let's sort of change the way we think about the world, because it's a dangerous habit. And, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone from sitting, scrolling away. And I've lost an hour before I know it, you know, mm. reading pointless memes and, and posts of people moaning about things and, you know, and. It is, it's it's crazy, but you can't beat getting outside. And and, it's, and like you say, it's it's got a medicinal value. It's good for the soul. It's good for the mind. It's it, it, it's 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 so it's it's just good, just good in general. And and and, and it's something we need to do a lot more of. And I, I started to see these like forest schools and things popping up now, which are brilliant, teaching kids like bushcraft and 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 you know how to make a fire in the you know or, or make a shelter or, or camp out or whatever it might be you know is and, and they're really important you know i i i want to see a lot more of that as well it's it's you know it's what we need in this world yeah 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 because there's there's a thing called forest bathing i think and yeah i've seen a few bushcraft uh groups on in, in sussex and stuff so you can actually can join up and kind of get involved with your kids and stuff but it's interesting what you touch upon there the whole idea of kind of being present because I posted a uh, social media post about this very topic today, funnily enough, about the kind of gift of being present rather than give it, giving presents. The biggest present you can give to your kids is your presence, not your present, yeah. so, so to speak. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Life is tough for us dads on the hamster wheel of life and let's face it, life doesn't come with an operating manual. I wish it did. But our fears around what life holds and how our lives have gone up until now don't have to hold us back. You can begin to pursue your dreams. You can do it. I know you can. We talk about vision, action and meaning on Guild of Dads and my debut book, The VAM Blueprint, has now launched. The book is a simple to follow guide which tells you my own story, the inspiration behind Guild of Dads and reveals a powerful growth system that you can start using today. You'll also find out my thoughts towards living a life which has meaning and why meaning is such a powerful North Star for men just like you. There isn't any publishers or cost, it's available now, totally free as a download from my website by going to the link 
guildofdads.com forward slash VAM, which is V-A-M, guildofdads.com forward slash VAM. If you grab it today, there's also a load of free bonus material available for the first 100 downloads. So check it out, guildofdads.com forward slash VAM. I think, um, as you say, the, 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 the most important resource that we have um, is time. Hmm. And, you know, it's certainly how you spend your time, who you spend it with, um, the, the value of time is, is it's the most precious thing in the world. You can't buy more time. It's the only thing you can't buy more of, in fact. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I say spend it wisely because it, it also as well, like you say, being, being in the present, it's what they call it these days, mindfulness. Mm. Um, and, and certainly from a mental health perspective, you know, I've always – I, I used to worry about what was coming, you know, what, what was the next few weeks, months ha- have in store, and that would cause cause me some kind of anxiety. And then often I would think about the mistakes I'd made with, you know, an ex-girlfriend or a partner or whatever, and then that would cause depression. But actually, if you live in the here and now, actually life's quite good if you enjoy it, you know, if, if, if you live in the moment, spend, you know, time engaging with your children or getting outside and, and just knowing that you're here and you're now and, and, and you're in the in, in the moment, that's, that's, that's actually very good for you. It's not harmful in any way where mm. worrying too far ahead and thinking too far back about things that you can't control, um, you know, it causes us endless amounts of, of mental health challenges. Yeah, and I wonder whether or not that kind of, that's all part and parcel of that kind of, that scrolling timeline of life that we're all living in via kind of social media and the 24-hour news and, you know, the world's moving so kind of fast. It's kind of almost like a hamster wheel that people are struggling to catch up with and stay 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 up with rather than just kind of sort of stepping off the hamster wheel and saying, okay, I'm going to live life at my pace rather than the pace at which kind of the, the kind of juggernaut of life is kind of taking me away with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough, you know, and, and social media, uh, don't get me wrong, it does some great things, you know, and, and probably why we're chatting now is, is a result of social media. But at the same time, I, I'm a massive believer that it is part of the, the, bigger, the biggest problems in the world when it comes to mental health when it comes to bullying trolling uh, suicides it's got a lot to answer for um the, the way we use it the accountability i've got a you know we have all these these so-called influencers out there that have had their 10 minutes of fame on a reality show and there's no accountability for the messages that they're pumping out into the world for young people it's you know it really gets to me actually because i think that if you if you have a profile of some sort for me you should have a risk you have a responsibility and a duty of care that whatever you post out there and push out there whatever that message is you've got to remember that you, you know for some reason you, you're in a position of influence and people are going to especially young people are, that they're going to make they're going to act on what you're saying whether it's the way they think whether it's the way they behave whether it's how they speak to people or, or share things so for me there's just not enough accountability and it's very difficult to regulate you know I understand but yeah, I, I just think we the, the, the world is full of very uninspiring, famous people at the moment who don't do enough good. <laughs> it's yeah. a big gripe of mine, actually. Yeah, and do you know what? It's funny because before I came on to to speak to you, one of the questions that I kind of had in my mind to kind of cover with you was this concept of role models these days. What I agree with you on the point that you've just made. There is a dearth of role models in society right now, and I talk often. Uh, to other guests that I speak to on the podcast about this kind of concept of you know when we were growing up there was always kind of wise elders or there was a wise man or a wise um, person within your kind of um, if it wasn't in your family network it would have been in your 
it would either have been kind of like a coach or a teacher or a mentor. There was there was this, there were these wise people, but I think that, like you say, a lot of these these individuals are kind of slipping and falling by the wayside. I'm not saying that they've they've disappeared entirely, but this kind of cult of celebrity them is elevating people who are not necessarily great role models. And I know that um, looking at the work that you do, a big part of it is particularly in terms of the work in uh, that you're doing. Uh, in Africa, uh, with the, with the charity work, is I know, I can I can sense that there is uh, a big element of this in what you're doing and 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 in your belief and value system that is part of Jordan Wiley. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. I think we, you know, that that was one of the uh, the great things the military taught me and gave me from an early age was was to to sort of understand your values, your standards, you know, who you are as a person, and what you know what 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 you what you want to project to the world. And I'm not, I'm not for a minute suggesting that I always get it right because I'm like everyone else. I've made mistakes in the past, but I, I like to think that I learn from them. You know, I don't get it right every time, but, but I always, uh, I will hold my hand up as well. If I, if I, if I get something wrong and I'll own, I'll own the mistake and, and acknowledge it and, and try to rectify it. But I'm, I'm certainly not somebody who, who says I've got no regrets in life. I live life to the full every day. I, I'm, I'm someone who's got lots of regrets and I would yeah. change a lot of things in, in, in my past. And, but what I can't do is dwell on those things. I have to keep moving forward and take the lessons um, every day. Um, but yeah, there is, there is, as we say, there's a lot of people who, who who need to be accountable for the things that they do, the things they say. But 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 again, we can't control that. So part of me thinks, well, why should I worry about that? All I can do is worry about the things that I can control, and and I can try and be a good role model. Uh, I can try and uh, try try my best to inspire young people by by not by talking but by positive action. Mm. I think the world is full of people who can talk a good game all day long. Again, um, and and for me, you have to be judged by your, your actions, not what you talk about or what, or what you say. You know, if, if you say you're going to do something and you're going to deliver, then you, you have to be accountable for that. And and if you're not, well, then th- th- then you're no different than anyone else out there. My, my dad used to say many years ago, the world's full of of, of talkers. Um, and, and very few doers. And I, I, he said to me, you know, if you can be a doer, you'll have a positive impact on the world. And I always remember that. And and again, I'm, I know for a fact that I'm not going to change the world through my charity work or my voluntary work. But what I do know is I can change the world for a handful of kids out there. And if you can make a difference, then you absolutely should make a difference, especially um, to people who, who are, are much less fortunate. You know, the children that I spend a lot of time with in, in, in conflict zones, in war zones, they will never have the things that we take for granted every day. They, they will never go to a school. They will never sit in a nice warm house like we are now, um, having a, you know, a normal conversation, um, you know, three meals a day. It just doesn't happen. And we're very, we're very blessed. And sometimes though, I, I also understand that you have to go and see that firsthand to be able to appreciate that. Mm. Um, and that's why I try and show people in schools, in cadets, I, I, I bring the videos, the pictures back and say, look at, what these children are going through now, they're the same age as you, mm. you know, when I'm in that assembly or whatever, think about when you go home today, think about the food on the table, the bed you sleep in, because these kids will never, ever see that. It's just and, and, and you see the cogs turning in, 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 in young people's minds. And and even if you only get one person to understand that, well, then, you know, you, you've made a difference. Um, mm. Mm. But it's tough. The world is tough. The world's complex. I think young people have it. Uh, young people actually get a really tough time because, you know, they talk about this PlayStation generation. They talk about kids are up to no good and they're a nuisance and drugs and all these other things. But actually, there are there are some really good kids out there as well. And I, I meet a lot of good kids in things like the Army Cadets that that do incredible things, you know, and, and, and are our good role models in society. So 
I, I do think that, that a lot of young people do get a, a rough ride and, and everyone thinks you always hear people talking like, you know, when I was a kid and the old school mentality of the values and the standards, but there, there are, don't get me wrong. There are nuisances. There are, there are, there, there are bad, bad apples in all aspects of life. And, and the same in, you know, when I was in the military, I, I, I always try to challenge people's perceptions because same in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, if you sit over here in the West, in the UK, you hear about these countries and you straight away, you think bombs, bullets, bad guys, terrorists, but actually, you know, these, 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 I, I, I've seen more acts of kindness in these countries. Mm. I've seen more acts of love, humanity, compassion than I've ever seen in our country. Mm. Um, but, but the media would influence that in a very different way. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, the world is complex and all we can do is, is do our best and be accountable for our own uh, impact in the world, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you say about uh, the conf- different conflict zones and whatever and in terms of the kind of reporting that comes across in the media in this country. I, my eyes were kind of closed to that until my dad, who was uh, my late dad, he passed away in 2015 now, um, he he was r- really heavily into Middle East affairs. So he, he was quite well read on kind of uh, the you know the the backdrop to the Middle East, um, the different the kind of tribal nature of uh, of of um, Sunni and Shia, and also the different tribes within those within those uh, different uh, areas of Islam and stuff. And one thing that I'll always remember is, um, shortly before he passed away, he uh, I was talking to him about a book. Um, uh, written by Patrick Coburn, who writes for The Independent, all about um, the rise of ISIS. And reading this book, it gave me a lot more of an idea as to kind of how these things kind of, you know, how this kind of melting pot kind of com- you know, comes to fruition and stuff. And you suddenly realise as you're flicking through the pages of the book, you're like, hang on a minute, how comes I don't know this? And then you realise that the kind of the, the kind of Western media gives a kind of a snap, just a pure snapshot of what's going on. And most people you know, wouldn't even, and there's probably even more depth than what that book went into, but most people don't get the full kind of backdrop to the kind of tribal element and, and how these different countries have been formed after World War Two um, and World War One, and, you know, all these all these different factors that go into creating these these countries in the Middle East, and it's, the media don't, just don't give us the kind of full, the full nine yards in the UK, you know what I mean? Uh- Absolutely. And I think, it, you know, not just the UK, but it, it, it works on the other side as well. You know, when you sit in, I, I always find it fascinating to sit in another country, where I'm, whether I'm on a an adventure or when I was in the military, you know, I, I sat in recently, I was in Russia last year. And when you listen to the Russian narrative, you know, you start understanding and, and, and sort of empathizing with, with what they're saying. And you think, Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty bad people in the West, actually. We're, you know, because because they're being influenced in a very different way than, and so it's it, it, it's not just our media. I think it's the media in general. If mm. you, as a media outlet, if you influence the the minds of the masses, then you control the people and you control the world, and that's what the media is very good at. And you know, not many people will ever go to Iraq or Afghanistan. It's only because you know we were soldiers or whatever that we got there firsthand and we've seen it and. And, and, you know, going there as a soldier is a very different perspective than going there as a civilian because you go in there carrying a weapon, wearing a uniform. And again, the people view you for a very different uh, sort of, you know, uh, paradigm, if you like, than, than when I've gone back there to do a run or something where I'm just a normal, everyday guy, you know, where people welcome me in open arms because mm. I'm not carrying a weapon. That's a very, very different context. There was a, there's a, a quick, a, a little story, actually, that my first insight into culture and cultural differences was... 
I, I remember the, my first tour of Iraq in, in uh, 2005, and I was working in intelligence at the time, and I had my own um, interpreter, this gentleman, Mohammed. And after I spent about six months working there, um, at the end of the tour, he invited me into his home, which was really close to the camp. And when I got there, and I was, I was quite 2005, it was 15 years ago, I was only you know, maybe 20 years old or something. And when we got to his house, on the front door of his house, they'd slaughtered um, an animal, um, like a, a sheep or a lamb. And, and, I, and I'd never seen anything like it. And the blood was, was, it was quite graphic. The blood was dripping out and it was coming all the way down the sort of garden path into the drain in the street. And obviously I had a good rapport with Mohammed. We'd, we'd worked together for six months and he was educated in England. So he, he understood our sense of humor and our sort of camaraderie. And I said to Mohammed, I said, that's the craziest thing that I've ever seen. Why the hell would you, would you cut the head off a live animal and put it on your door? And he said to me, he said, he said, Jordan, no, he said, he said, it's culture. He said, I want to welcome you in my home. And it's a, it's um, it's like you're a special guest and it's a, it's an honor to, to, you know, it's like a ritual to, to invite a VIP into my home. Mm. And at the time being quite young and naive, I said, oh, I just think you're bonkers, mate. You know, I think, I think you're crazy cutting this, this animal's head off just for me. And he said, I'll tell you what, Jordan, he said, I'll give you a lesson in culture. And he said, when I came to the UK in 1985, I said, I lived in a place called Oxford. And he said, I, I got there at the end of October. And he said, and it was just right at the end of October. And he said, and there was a knock on my door. And he said, I opened the door. And he said, and there was, lo- there was a big group of young people and they were wearing masks and they were trying to scare me. And of course he was talking about Halloween. And he said, it was... <laughs> And it was the bizarrest thing ever. And then he said, a week later, I went for a, a walk in the local park uh, in, in the town just north of Oxford called Banbury. And he said, and they put this, what they called a guy, on a bonfire and started firing rockets and everyone was dancing around this bonfire. And he said, you guys called it Bonfire Night or something. And, and he said, and, he, and, I, and I just thought to myself, how bonkers must that look if you've never experienced that? And he said to me, he said, that, my friend, is culture. He said, we come from two different worlds. And that was, and I thought, you're so, you're so right, because to, to, for Halloween, when you break it down and then sort of bonfire night, it must look so alien and crazy to anyone who's not been brought up in that sort of culture, yeah. what it stands for. Yeah. Uh, and and no, I just, and there was me sort of, you know, being really negative and having a joke about him cutting this. And, and it was just a different culture and, a, a, and, a, and, you know, a different environment. But I, I thought it was a great example of, of, of how we live different lives and come from different backgrounds yeah and it's and it's interesting isn't it because like people like you have the different backgrounds and different lives and different cultures and different customs and stuff but the kind of the i think they call it the human uh is it human needs or human there's there's a, a number of different things that are kind of a basic to what humans need for existence and yeah, you know, yeah. we all want I the same we all want the same yeah the human sorry you sorry yeah, just with the, the the pyramid, is it Maslow's pyramid? That's it, hierarchy of needs, yeah, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And so we all want the same things. We're just going about it in a different way, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, shelter and food and uh, our loved yeah, ones security. to be safe and all that security, all those things. But, we just, but different cultures go about those things and trying to get to that point in different ways, don't they? Absolutely, and... Yeah, as I said earlier, the, the the in these in these sort of far away countries that a lot of people probably will never visit, incredible people, um, amazing people, amazing cultures, and even as a, a former soldier who served and spent a lot of time there and and lost friends and colleagues in those countries, I have I have no bad no no bad blood against any of the, mm. the those cultures or those people uh, because 
you know, it doesn't matter what culture you come from, what color your skin is, what your sexuality is. There are bad people everywhere. Mm. You know, that, that's just life. That's just life. You will, you will always find uh, bad apples and, and negativity wherever you go. Um, any organization in the workplace, in different cultures, in different nationalities, it's, it's just life. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And I think the, I think the thing is as well is at the moment you've got, particularly with the kind of backdrop of what we've had recently, you've got this very kind of black and white way of looking at the world where you're either with us or against us or you're left wing or right wing or you're, um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, it's extremes. Everything's in extremes rather than the kind of gray area in the middle where actually we're kind of a lot more similar than we, than we would imagine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very complex. And I, I try and avoid politics and anything controversial because it, it, it's just a minefield to be honest but it's like you see like you say the black lives matter stuff at the moment and then you know people are, are, are advocating black lives matter but then if you're not doing it it's like well do you not care about the black lives are you against that and it's 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 so it, <laughs> like you say not as clear as it's just that you know not this and that it's it's that's why i try and avoid it, it, it especially on social media you you end up getting drawn into all sorts of debates and yeah. upsetting people who who were friends and family in some cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us took a bit of a sabbatical for a couple of weeks when that was all going a little bit crazy. It was getting to a point where you could actually just say a single word like yes or no <laughs> on a social yeah, media yeah. post well, and, well, and someone would say to you, well, what do you mean by that? And you're just like, well, nothing. No, nothing, yeah, exactly. nothing that, that's know. what it was like. It, it's like, um, you know, and, and a lot of people... You know, I, I completely respect anyone who's going to have a protest, and I believe that you know we we have a free speech in this country. But then at the same time, what you find is you will find these vigilante type groups that will jump on that and use it as an excuse. We we, we see it with the right wing side, with the the sort of EDLs and the uh, you know that they will use the military to jump on with the Union Jacks and say that you know soldiers' rights when actually you know we we don't want anything to do with any any bad people, whether mm. the the right wing, left wing, the black, white, the straight, the gay. As we said, if you're a bad person, you're a bad person. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter where, yeah. where you come from. One one thing I noticed, Jordan, on with with your expeditions and the work that you've done, and we've touched upon this already in this conversation that we're having tonight, is that uh, the expedition that you did, your rowing expedition, was uh, between uh, the I think it was the Bab El uh, Mandeb Straits. Uh, so that's on the kind of Horn of Africa, and a lot of the work that you do focuses on that in that kind of area. A lot of the charity work you do, particularly around the schools and stuff. Now, is there something? Do you have like an affinity to that area? Is there something that kind of pulls you to that area of the world more than say other areas, or is it just that's just where your kind of work has taken you, and you kind of gravitated towards that? No, I spent a lot. I spent a lot of time in the Horn of Africa over mm. the last decade, and I think. Um, you know, one of the, the, the great tragedies, tragedies about that part of the world, even today, is, is Yemen is one of, Yemen is perhaps the biggest humanitarian crisis of our generation at the moment. There has not mm. been, in my belief, a, a bigger humanitarian crisis than the, the situation in Yemen right now. And what's perhaps even more tragic is the fact that nobody's talking about it. Nobody's, you don't, you don't see it on the news. Um, you know, children are dying every day through the war. You know that the, the Saudis dropping bombs in there, the malnutrition. Um, or, you know, we all want to talk about coronavirus, and coronavirus is also one of the issues there. Um, and you know, and you can imagine that how bad it is for us in this country having to wear a mask, which is is, is not that bad really. It's just you got to wear a mask and you got to wash your hands. 
and it, and it, it does make me it puts life into perspective when we all running around complaining that a shop's not open or we've got to wash our hands more or we've got to wear a mask. But, you know, there's, there's people in the world who are, who are dodging bullets every day, who, you know, young children especially. And I, I, for me, I've, I've tried to, when I went out there, um, I've been going out there 10 years, but when I went out there about two years ago, I saw, I saw so many children who had lost their families, their homes, um, and they was they had been displaced from Yemen and Somalia, and they were living in a little uh, country called Djibouti. And when I went to Djibouti, I was just gobsmacked, really, by by how how little these people have in these refugee camps. And when I spoke to the children, the commonality between them all was they all just wanted to go back to learning and go back to a school one day. And I just thought. Well, they're probably not going to go back home for a good three to five years because of the situation. There's an ongoing war. So I said, to, I spoke to some people in the country and I, I got a meeting with the uh, Minister of Education in the country. And I said, I'd love to be able to build a school for these refugees. Uh, this was about 18 months ago. And he said, he said, sort of Jordan, he said, the amount of people that come to Africa from the West, from the UK, from the US, and they tell us all these great things that they want to do from charities. And he said, they never happen. He said, you'll get all your funding. You might throw a bit this way, but there'll be no school. Let's be real. And I said, well, no. I said, I, I want to build a school. That's what I, I wouldn't want, I want have come and found a meeting with you if I, if I wasn't serious. Um, so he gifted me a piece of land to build a school on. Uh, and I started building this school uh, 18 months ago. We're about 60% complete. And I still need to raise about another 150K. Mm-hmm. Um, to finish the school, which which I hope to do this year. Um, I, I was doing an adventure this year, um, which was to run through the 10 coldest places on earth. And I did the first four. And then when I was on my way to the North Pole in April, obviously we went into lockdown. So uh, that sort of went out the window. So I've had to come up with a new challenge, which will be announced this week. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty cool challenge as well. And I, I, I guess I can tell you actually, because probably when you launch this, it'll already be out there. Yeah, it'll be. Right? Yeah, we'll, we, we run about three to four week, ter- like, like a turnaround, so to speak. So you this will come out well, in roughly a month's time. So, and that's, that's great. And so, so hopefully, when in a month's time from now, that's I, I, I will be well underway and I'm going to be attempting to be the first person. Um, in the world to paddleboard around the whole of Great Britain. Um, so it's going to take me about three or four months of paddling 15 hours a day. And I'm going to start next in on the 26th of July and I'm going to paddleboard the whole of, of Great Britain um, for, to try and raise this this money, what I need to raise. So I'm going to try and make it very uh, engaging, very interactive. I'm going to encourage the British public to come and swim, paddle with me as I post my locations every day. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's gonna be a really cool adventure um we've got, we got the army cadets and people like that involved so hopefully we can inspire the nation through the spirit of adventure to to help me build this school but we'll see and hopefully when this goes out um people are already be well in, underway for a week or two on the water well you'll be topping up your tan by this point i would have thought so uh, <laughs> just pick the hot only only i can tell from you know from your bio that you know only you would pick the hottest part of the year to do a paddleboard around the UK. So that so basically you're doing you're doing a what what would be called a Ross Egley Ross Ross Edgley is it Ross Egley or Ross Edgley Ross Edgley yeah Ross Edgley yeah. Ross Edgley um, you're basically doing that but on a paddleboard. Are you, where are you start if you were to where you're going to start start from at all or not? Yeah, we're going to start in Essex because that's where the we, we have a small support boat, which I'll sleep on every night. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll start in Essex. Well, that's where the boat is. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can do it in around 100 days. 
um, which is quite ambitious. Some people might say unrealistic, but we'll, we'll give it a go and see how we get on. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, be fun. you heard it here first, folks. Maybe. Yeah, this is an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get involved with a community of other dads who are looking to develop themselves? To continue the conversations we have here on this podcast in a place for dads only that fosters brotherhood, camaraderie and personal growth, then we have just the place for you. At the Guild of Dads Facebook group, you can connect with other dads on a similar journey, share experiences, offer support and seek support. Most of all, you can get some accountability in your own journey and get involved with the discussions and topics that every dad faces. So look us up on Facebook, join up and get involved with the discussion. Looking forward to seeing you in the Guild so you can start your journey with us today. So on the so so you're trying to raise get this get this money raised for the school uh, the school uh, in Djibouti, um, and that's interesting that you mentioned that about Yemen because it kind of it ties in with what we were just talking about the political kind of backdrop of the kind of Middle East, and I agree with you. Yemen is not really spoken about at all. It's kind of become like a it's become like a proxy war for the Saudis, um, which could be a whole podcast discussion in itself but, oh. uh, but but we'll maybe save that one for another time but um that is the kind of backdrop to you know the kind of nutshell as to as to as to kind of what's happening in in, in yemen um yeah and one, and one of the not not that you know i don't want to get into the politics like we say but one of the one of the interesting things when i was doing the role and when i was um out in that region was and one of the reasons why we don't talk about it in the UK, which I can say because I'm a civilian now and not a soldier, is, <laughs> is because a lot of the bombs that are being dropped in Yemen, most of them are manufactured, you know, up the road in places like British Aerospace mm. and, uh, you know, all these big defence players. They're, they're, a lot of them are British companies um, mm. that, that are making these weapons and that are selling to the Saudis that are then in turn. So we have a, the Brits have a very indirect involvement in, in a lot of these things. So, you know, it's not surprising that we're not shouting from the rooftops and, and complaining, but um, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's always, and again, I'm sort of I'm going to digress for one more moment on this. It's all after after reading Patrick Coburn's book and having my eyes open to kind of how how um, Al Qaeda and later ISIS were funded and and their methods of funding and how most of that funding was coming kind of uh, via via Saudi Arabia and those Gulf states. Um, and in particular, Saudi being the biggest contributor of fighters to to ISIS in, in, in Syria and northern Iraq, you begin to find out who actually is supplying the Saudis with weapons. And you know the biggest, God, the whole the, world corrupt. The, 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 the biggest, like yeah, the biggest like contributors are like the Brits, the British government, and the and the Saudis. Which is always why it makes me feel quite uncomfortable when I hear a British MP saying. Uh, you know, denouncing terror attacks on British shore and stuff and that, and then you kind of think, well, hang on a minute, you are actually supplying yeah. the Saudis with uh, with uh, with the arms to go, you know, and whatever. So there's it's it's when you kind of realise the kind of backdrop to it, then you kind of become a bit more uncomfortable with what politicians say when they're denouncing terrorism one day and then shaking um, shaking hands with yeah, the Saudis yeah, yeah. over an arms deal on the next day. You know what I mean? So. Incredible. It, it was like um, when we would when I did the maritime security stuff in the in uh, sort of 2010 11. There was you know there was we come across lots of of interesting uh, snippets of information, evidence of 
of a lot of the money behind piracy being traced back to Dubai, London, New York. You know, a lot of there was a lot of evidence to suggest that there was it. Piracy didn't just happen in Somalia. Mm. There was a lot of people with a lot of money funding, uh, you know, piracy operations around the world mm. uh, with, with investing interests. Let's say, um, yeah, the world. It's a crazy world, you know, and I'm always looking for when, when when I see the news these days, I'm always looking for what's the real story or what they're covering up, you know, what's what they're trying to de- detract us from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's certainly it is certainly a can of worms. A lot I say, I could. It is a good two three hour podcast episode with some real good experts on it. That is that that is for sure. But it's not something we go. There must be like oh, a, no, there must be a podcast expert, for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I just say things as I see it. I don't. I'm no expert, and I don't have the you know the academic or, or the sort of strategic understanding of it all. I just say what I see, mate. Yeah, which, which is probably not a good. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, you've seen more than most people, so you kind of you know more than most, more than most people on it, more than the average Joe would on the street. So you know, um, so yeah, it's only logical that you that you're gonna see stuff and whatever. So yeah, um, in terms of. Um, when you're when you are going to these places and you're seeing the conditions that the kids are living in you know they're you know they might have been displaced or they they may have lost their families or uh, been taken away from relatives or separated from relatives and stuff and that you're getting on a plane at some point to kind of leave those leave those places what kind of goes through the mind of Jordan Wiley when you're leaving a situation like that when there's you you did you feel deeply responsible for creating a solution to what these kids are going through but you're having to leave that you know what what do you go through at that point well i i think when you go there and you see firsthand i think it's it's very difficult not to be moved and and touched by the situation that you've seen so i think for me if anything it's a huge motivator to want to get back and do something Mm. um yeah for me it's great to as soon as I come back from those places, I've got so much fire in my belly to say, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, I'm really, you know, I'm really, really motivated. And it's been quite difficult with the, the, the COVID because I had so many plans and so many fundraising events that I was doing that all got cancelled. So I've had to sort of go back to the drawing board and I'm hoping that this, the great British paddle that we're calling it, um, I hope that, that that really helps us get moving again. Um, but I'm, 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 for me, the way I look at it is I, I, I saw a problem there and I, I, I made a commitment and a pledge to do something about it. Um, and I made, I, you know, I looked a lot of children in the eyes and said that I'm going to build a school. So it's probably, to be very honest, I probably bit off more than I can chew 18 months ago. It's become the most stressful aspect of my life. <laughs> but I made that I made that promise and I will, I will deliver that school whatever it takes. And I'm, I'm determined to do that. Um, even if it's just to prove the Ministry of Education wrong, that, that it wouldn't get done. <laughs> yeah, don't say to me I can't do something because I'll, pro- I'll damn well prove to you that I can, definitely. Yeah, well, that is trying. <laughs> There's a lovely quote that I saw on your Instagram feed, and and, and I'm going to read this. Uh, that's I'm reading it on my other screen here, and it says, when you make a promise to a young child, you must keep it. Never promise something just to make them happy in the moment. If you do this and don't comply you'll be harming not only the bond you have with them, but also damaging their thoughts and feelings of relationships with others for the rest of their lives. Um, and I thought that was a really nice, um, I think I thought that was a really nice quote that I found of yours, because I think it really does encapsulate a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of role models and in terms of the next generation on, on tonight's discussion. 
No, absolutely. And I think that goes without saying, even, you know, that was me talking about some uh, children on the Horn of Africa, but mm. even more so about your own children, you know, about your own kids. If you, if you make a promise to your son or your daughter, um, you know, that they, 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 you're the person who they should trust more than anybody. So if you're breaking promises, what, what message does that send out to the rest of the world and all the other people and adults that they will deal with in, in their life? I think, I, you know, you, you know, and, and things don't always go to plan as well, you know, but if you've made a promise, you should always do your best to deliver it. Or if you can't deliver it, then, you know, you, you, you should have the, the courage to go and explain or, or be accountable to the people that you've made that promise to, um, you know, and, and, and own your mistake or whatever it might be. But I, you know, for me, I've, I've made a pledge and I will honor that pledge and, and, and I won't stop until it, because actually, even if it takes me another year to do, they, they've got a lifetime of living in, in, in places that are very complex, that are dangerous. For me, I go out there for maybe a week, once every six or seven weeks. Um, I encourage people to, um, to to get behind the project. And, and actually, it does a lot of good in the world, not just by building a school. In fact, that's just one one aspect, that, that the fact that I can go into schools in the UK and educate young children on what's going on and the, and how grateful they should be here. That's just as powerful and as important as building that school for those children it is it, because education is, is often a big part of the challenge um, in terms of educating people what's going on in the world. And, 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 you know, and I think it also comes down to values that, that I talked about earlier, having, you know, respect, having integrity, having being loyal, uh, having discipline, having selfless commitment, whatever it is, but also showing people that if you've got a goal, it doesn't matter if you're just a little small one person, just little old Jordan from Blackpool. If you've got a goal, you know, have have big goals, have super big goals, and 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 be relentless in the pursuit of delivering those goals. Uh, don't let anyone ever tell you that you can't achieve something or you can't do something. Because if you're prepared, if you're prepared to you know to work for something and you're prepared to make the sacrifices. I genuinely don't believe it. It doesn't matter how big that goal is for most people. You know, big big goals are a lot of hard work, and and people don't like hard work. Um, and and you know, I'm I'm being very honest because building that school has caused me more stress than probably most things in my life in the last two years. Because you know, fundraising, donors, sponsors, being accountable to them. Uh, you know, and, and you'll get people. I've had I've had trolls trying to troll me saying. You know, charity starts at home. Look at the kids in the UK who are homeless. Who are why are you dealing with some little kids in Africa? And yeah, I've had loads of loads of stick for it. Um, but I made a promise, and I deliver that promise, and 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 I'll I'll be accountable to my word. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful as well. What you just said, because yeah, I think that it's it's having that worthy, it's having that having that worthy fight that means something to you, and it's kind of a big enough why. And I think that that what you've just described about how that affects you when you kind of leave there i can see that that is the kind of fuel for your fire that kind of keeps you going you know on those on those days when you're training and you don't want to get up and you know that is at the forefront of your mind when you're when you're putting in the reps to do the things you do and to complete the the goals and the tasks and the expeditions and and those early mornings and late nights it's it's the fuel for your fire isn't it yeah, and I think you hit a great point there. You said your why, and I think that is so important to know what your why is. Uh, because if you know your why and you're passionate about your why, actually it's not as difficult as people say because it's it's intrinsically built within you to go and, and do what you've got to do. And, it, you know, a lot of people do things, but they don't know why they're doing them, you know. And, it, it, and if you're doing something for the right reason, you know, for me, 
you, you know, someone people said to me last year saying, "Oh, he's he's only." Someone said to me on I don't use Twitter that much, and somebody said he's only trying to build that school to build his profile or something like this. And and I, and, and it couldn't have been more wrong. You know, for me, I would love it if some some very wealthy person come along and said, "Jordan, right, we're going to give you 150k to finish this project." But you've just got to step to the side and let us manage it. That that would be my dream, you know, because it, it's <laughs> fundraising is hard work. Fundraising for serious fundraising, where you're mm. raising, you know, hundreds of thousands, a million plus, is is very difficult. It's very stressful, especially when you're doing it as a volunteer and you don't get paid anything for it as well. Um, which is for me what charity is all about. It's about doing it for the right reasons, and that was why I I set up with some trustees the charity Frontline Children because. For me, again, it's about being accountable to donors. If someone puts a pound in a bucket, well, then at least 99.9% of that pound should be going where it needs to go, not 30p of it because 60p has gone to the CEO's nice house in London or or, or, or that new, whatever, Range Rover, Ferrari. Um, that, and I'm not saying that I'm right and they're wrong because I know I understand that you to, to generate big money, you need intelligent, business, savvy people. Uh, and, and I'm not having a pop at any charities. But for me, when I get a pound off somebody i want to show them exactly where that pound's gone mm. and i and i want to you know and that's that's just the way i think and the way i work i'm not saying that i'm right and anyone's wrong i'm just saying that i sleep a lot better in night at night knowing that yeah. you give me a pound and, and the pound's gone to, to, to the school or whatever yeah. it is and particularly with the cultural legacy of kind of pounds going to to the african continent as well because there has been a tendency in the past where where campaigns have been raised and kind of all of a sudden, you'll see like a tin pot dictator as as ah oh, yeah, he's yeah. got a new he's got a new fleet of um, of land cruisers. Oh, all right, where did that come from? And then it kind of you subsequently finds out that you know something's been embezzled or whatever. So I think there's although there is stress coming with being in control of the situation, at least it's a good stress in the sense that you know exactly where exactly where that cash is going and where it's been spent, as opposed to like you say. Um, a CEO of a charity, then um, a middleman, then who, then it going through the government of the specific country, then dispersed out, and and the, the actual end person Absolutely. gets ten pence out of like a hundred quid sort of thing. Yeah, and and the challenges, and and, and you know, and the, the negative to that is that obviously the growth of our very small humble charity, it, it, it's very difficult to grow it because there's no salaried staff, mm-hmm. you know, there's no infrastructure. It, it, it's just a group of like-minded people. Who are trying to have a positive impact on the world? You know, we 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 don't have lot. We don't have a human resources department, a marketing team, you know, videographers. So so our growth is very small, and and we won't grow further than one project at a time. But mm. what we what we can do though is is guarantee and show people that you, if you donate a pound or ten p or a hundred pound, you can be assured of where it's going and, and be assured that you've made a direct difference to to a child's life in in, in some way. Uh, and I think that's quite powerful because when I was handing over big checks to big charities, you know, 50K, 100K, uh, four or five years ago, they couldn't tell me where it was going. And they still can't tell me today. They, they would, it would go into the pot and it would be distributed to whatever project needed the money. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's wrong, but for me, it just wasn't good enough. When I've got a sponsor who's donated me £20,000 to go and do something, I want to be able to tell them, you've just changed that kid in that village's life, in that country or whatever that town <laughs> Um, and that's the name of the school or, you know, I, 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 I don't know. And, I'm, and, I, and again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just, that works for me. It's mm. the way I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes a lot more personal. You've talked, you've spoken in the past about your kind of your PTSD, your anxiety, your depression that you've suffered from. And how do you find that your, 
endurance exploits if you like, exploits, if you like. How, do, how do they kind how of play into kind of like- and help you through the the kind of the difficulties of mental illness um, I think they're the 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 paramount I think um yeah for me I was I was diagnosed with um chronic anxiety and severe depression so not not PTSD but okay um, sorry yeah. And, yeah and my challenges actually come from not from the military which are, again a lot of people make an assumption um, and I had a lot of battles with these sort of NHS professionals, and again, I'm not having a pop at anybody because you know NHS are incredible, especially in in, in what we've seen recently. But yeah, it's very easy to say a soldier's been to somewhere hot in the Middle East, he's come back, he's having a mental health challenge. It's very easy to put someone in a bracket of PTSD, and that's what tends to happen—a mm-hmm. misdiagnosis. And that's what 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 somebody tried to do with me. And but for me, it was the breakdown of my family. It was. Um, I was in a relationship for just over 10 years. I got, I've got an 11 year old daughter nearly now. And for me, that breaking down was the catalyst for a lot of my challenges and a lot of my problems. And, um, to answer the question, I think it's like you said earlier, there's a, med- a medicinal value to the outdoors and to certainly to adventure. And, um, but probably even more than the outdoors and adventure is, is purpose and going back to that. Why? Mm. And, and for me, for me, adventure is amazing and it's great, but it's not the be all and end all because what is important for me is, is the impact of the adventure. You know, what can we use that adventure to do some good? And I'm not, again, it's not just necessarily build a school. It might be inspire the army cadet force. It might be go and, 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 and campaign for, I don't know, plastic in the ocean. Um, for me, the, the, the impact and the result is so much more important than the adventure. The adventure is the short term fix. It's cool. It's sexy. And, and that's what people love. You know, if you, if you want to, you, you need to captivate people. If you want to get people on side, you need to do crazy things. You need to do world records, world first, try and push the boundaries of endurance because that's what people are interested in. People don't want to, uh, sadly, people don't really care about me putting a few bricks on top of each other building a school, but they do care about doing an incredible challenge that's not been done before. So you have to try and tactically, strategically blend them together um, uh, and package it up in a nice way that sells by giving it a little identity, giving it a project name, a logo, um, and then sell it to the rest of the world. Um, and, and before you know it, then they are supporting your little school on the Horn of Africa. Um, but you, you know, you need to you need to captivate them first. And the projects of adventure do that because that generally they're interesting. You know, that's what the things that we watch on the TV. That's what we 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 we, we look at and things. Um, so it's interesting, and I'm I'm learning all the time on on what works, what doesn't work. Um, but if you can find a really cool project, the, the way I try to do it, actually, I don't try to go out there and say, sponsor me, sponsor me. I, I want to do this. What I do is I think of something unique, interesting, creative. And then I go to the media and say, are you interested in this? Would you cover this? Whether it's BBC, Sky News, CNN or whatever. And when I know I've got them on side and they start covering it, the rest will take care of itself because I know if I've got the media covering my project, I'll get the donors, I'll get the sponsors, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll get the, the, the buy-in that I need. Whereas a lot of people, and what I used to do is you you think of an idea, then you go and find sponsors and say, will you sponsor me to do this? And uh, and that's quite hard to sell because sponsors, they want value, they want exposure, they want the world to know about their brand or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So for me to go to the media and, and and spend a lot of time harnessing my my relationships with with media people, influencers, presenters, producers, is very important because they're the people who will help bring all this to life. And 
And uh, so, you know, I, I, we talked about the negatives of the media. There was also a lot of positives because you need them for awareness when mm. you're doing charitable projects. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's there's a lot of kind of, from what you've been talking about tonight, it's, it's almost like a kind of positive feedback loop from the kind of the why to the to the actual doing of the the, the actual doing of the feat of extraordinary nature like running barefoot up Kilimanjaro and then uh, and then and then kind of the impact it has and it's that it's that kind of positive feedback loop that keeps going isn't it sort of thing so it's it's interesting the way you describe it but it's only from it's only from you know it's it's cause and effect it's trial and error it's only it's just keep learning we have to keep learning um you know, through our, our our mistakes, through through perceived negatives, whatever they might be, as long as we're learning, we're not failing. You know, as mm. long as if we keep doing the same thing, there's that famous quote from Einstein. I think if you if you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, it's 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 the definition of going insane. You know, um, you, you've got to evolve, you've got to grow, you've got to change, and and you do that through experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, you you have to keep growing and evolving. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The You've recently been diagnosed with epilepsy, I think, as well. And has that had any any effect on what you what you do and what you don't do? Have you had to change your approach, or have you had to take any medication for it? And the reason I ask is because I know people with epilepsy, and I'm sure they'd be keen to find out, you know, from someone as inspirational and groundbreaking as you, kind of how you how you get around it or how you kind of mitigate that with what you're doing and the lifestyle that you lead, doing these kind of endurance feats and pushing your body to these limits yeah i think um i was diagnosed a few about three years ago with mm. epilepsy and and i've only ever had two seizures touch wood uh, hopefully no more but uh, and, I, and i appreciate that some people have it you know have it a lot worse than me they have you know multiple seizures every day you know in double mm. figures some people um so i'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in that respect but it, I, i've tried to not let it affect me and, and try to again turn it into a positive i'm I'm very honoured to be one of the uh, ambassadors for Epilepsy Action, the largest epilepsy charity in the UK, and and trying to show people that if you manage the risks and you you, you put measures in place to protect yourself, um, then you can still go and have a very healthy, successful uh, life. And I think that's really important, especially for me to share that message with uh, young people, because, uh, again, a lot of people that I speak to with epilepsy, they think that their world's over before it's even started because of what they're being told. Before I did the uh, running dangerously expedition a few years ago, I went for a, a health check with the doctor before I went, and they told me categorically, "We advise you that you should not go and do this expedition," um, and and that was it. And and I could have given up there, and and uh, and that had been finished, you know. But I, I I put measures in place. I made sure that every person that I I, I met on that trip uh, was trained. I give them a, a um, uh, like a a guidance card on what to do in Arabic, um, in in the local dialect in Iraq, for example, of, of what to do if I had an epileptic seizure. I carried um, emergency medicine. Um, I, I wore a wristband that had my condition on it and what was up with me in Arabic again. Um, so I informed the doctors what, what time I was setting off. I had a medical support team. I, uh, you, can, you can do a lot of things to mitigate risk. Um, Yes, and if I was just going out there into the middle of nowhere, into a war zone, that would be dangerous and reckless. And I think sometimes people think that they look at these expeditions that not just me, but lots of people do these 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 crazy things, and they think that they think, well, that's just crazy. He's gone off there to this crazy place doing something crazy. It's like like the the paddleboard expedition. 
the first when I when I've told friends they're like that's the craziest thing ever. But then when I explain that we have a support boat that's there, mm. we checked in with the coast guard, we speak to the RNLI every day. Um, we don't go out in certain sea conditions. We check the the tide, the weather, the tidal movements, the winds. Um, I'm going to be wearing a safety equipment. I'm going to have a VHF radio. And actually, when you put all those measures in place, actually mm. people go, oh, it's not bad. Actually, is it? And and it's not because you you've, you've managed the risk. Um, and it, it's just as long as you. You know, when you're managing risk and assessing risk, especially in complex hostile environments, it's an ongoing process. Risk management is not a one-off occurrence. It's, it's It goes on and on, you know, and, and we do it every day in our normal lives, whether we're crossing a road or, or getting into the bath. We do it subconsciously. We're, we're constantly managing risk, and, and it's no different for me. I'm constantly doing dynamic risk assessments, you know, when I'm looking at waves, whether I'm looking at the ropes on a mountain or the harnesses, um, whatever it might be, you know, it's it's just risk management, and that's the same that I approach epilepsy um, or or any other um, condition or injury. Um, if you you have to be honest with yourself as well, you know, mm-hmm. I a lot of the things that I do, most people could do, but they 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 you know, it, it, going to a war zone, it's it's for me, it's quite normal because I'm a soldier, but it's not it's not something that's impossible. You could get a flight tomorrow. Um, you know, to to a conflict zone. If you really wanted to, you probably you wouldn't want to though, because it's a it's a it's a conflict zone. You can run a marathon if you want to. And all I've done is bring the two together. I've run a marathon in a war zone. It's 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 not as groundbreaking as as it might seem. Um, but what I have to do is I have to make it using the media, make it sound like the sexiest, coolest project possible. Because I know that if people love it, then they'll sponsor me, and then we can build a school or have a positive impact. And the, and the same with the panel boarding. Um, uh, again, of course, there's there's fitness, there's psychological endurance, there's the there's the, the there's the, the the wind, the rain, and all the conditions to deal with. But I'm a normal guy. I'm not I'm not a super special forces soldier. I'm not a, a, a team GB Olympic athlete. I'm a normal guy um, uh, who has a vision and he tries to execute it. And I encourage anyone because you know I'm, I'm no different than, than 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 anyone else out there. It's just that I. I have a vision and I go and execute it. I don't talk about it. I go and do it. And that's the only difference. Mm, yeah. And I think the, I love what you said just then, because I think the, the vision is kind of what it's all, what it's kind of all about. And, and the kind of three pillars of kind of guild of dads, if you like, are vision plus action equals meaning. And, and it Absolutely. used to be vision. Right. It used to just be vision, action and meaning. And then we changed it to like an equation because that made a lot more sense to people. And the idea being that the kind of meaning is in the journey, uh, but you have to take action in order to kind of get that kind of meaning out of what out of what you're doing. And I think there, I think that one of the kind of tragedies, if you like, of mankind right now is that a lot of guys in the kind of Western world they just don't have. They're missing that kind of meaning through having that kind of that vision for their lives, and they're kind of floating along like a kind of like a like a glass bottle on the ocean, just going where the, wherever the tide's yeah. going to take them. You know what well, I mean? We're often looking for the wrong things though as well, because you know, the things that I'm doing, they don't pay any money. You know, they don't pay any money. And I get so much more reward and fulfillment from doing these things mm. than any jobs ever paid me. Mm. You know, I but but then I find that if you try and do good and you try and have a positive impact without looking at what's in it for you, I, I found that good things just happen, you know. Mm. I, I, I do some of these expeditions and then out of nowhere, somebody, a publisher comes along and said, why don't you write a book about this? We want to, we want to pay you to write a book or can we document this? Cause it's a, it's a powerful story. And if you just focus on doing the good and trying to help people, generally the life takes care of itself. But mm. human nature says that 
if there's nothing in it for me, why am I bothered? And, and that's the mindset a lot of people are in. They're in this, what can I get, not what can I give? And yeah. if you turn it on, it's, it becomes very powerful. But you've got to believe it. You can't just say it and, and try and adopt it. You've got to believe it. It's got to come from within. You've got to feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would you like the world to remember, Jordan Wiley for, do you think? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think, like, like you, I, you know, I, I love what you said then about um, about vision and action is meaning. I, I, you know, I, I, I think if I can encourage or inspire the next generation um, through through demonstrating those those three things, I, I, I think you know, for me, I'll I'll be quite happy to depart this this planet, um, leaving that behind. But you know, to build this school will be a massive thing for me. I've done lots of fundraising in the past and lots of big challenges and lots of projects, but to go from seeing a piece of wasteland on the Horn of Africa and then going to get the, the wheels turning, meeting the government ministers of education who didn't really believe in the project, to hopefully by the end of the year seeing a fully-fledged school being opened with children in school uniforms, ah, for me, you know, I'll, I'll, if I don't do anything ever again, I'll dine out on that because it's been the most stressful thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. Sorry, I shouldn't swear, but I'm going to mark, I'm gonna have to mark my podcast as explicit now on iTunes after dropping that F-bomb in there, but no, it's all right. It is allowed. We're not as sensitive as you are on TV, so that's okay. Um, and and also, what is your number one guilty pleasure? What's the thing that most people probably wouldn't know about you that is your absolute guilty pleasure? It could be eating yes. peanut butter and like cucumbers or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> Oof, good question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I, probably quite an obvious one. It's not that interesting, but I, I, um, I, I loved, I love my takeaways. I'm, a, I've got a shocking diet. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I work like my train, but God, I eat some rubbish. You know, I whether it's Domino's or a Chinese or an Indian or God, I eat some terrible food. You know, and that's why I could never. People say people sometimes refer to me when they introduce me on things as an athlete, and I say, "No, I'm an adventurer. I'm not an athlete. Athletes, <laughs> athletes are disciplined. What they eat, what they drink. I, I'm a very normal person. I love a before we. You know, I, I, I just took a foot. Um, I went to a friend was holding a um, a kids football session tonight, and he asked me if I'd come along and speak to the kids and what have you. And I went along, and I had a bit of a run around and a bit of a game of football. And I come back in, I open the fridge and there was a can of, there was one can of beer left in the fridge and I had a can of beer and I was like, that's, that's, you know, I, I couldn't resist. I just opened the fridge and I thought, and it just, when you play football or anything, it just tastes so much better. Um, and, and, and I probably shouldn't because I'm about to go on this, this expedition. I should be watching what I eat, what, what I drink. And, but I'm a, I'm a normal person and I, I work hard, I play hard and, um, but yeah, takeaways and a, and, and a cheeky drink now and again, definitely, uh, is, is, it's, it's, it's probably not even a guilty pleasure. It's a part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I love it. I love it. And the last question I'm going to ask you, which is one that I don't prime anyone for, but I suspect I know where this is going to go, is what gives? what is the one thing that gives you meaning in life, Jordan? Uh, do you know what? Uh, to be a dad. To, for me, to be, to be, to be a dad, um, to, I think it's the greatest privilege, the greatest honour in the world to be a dad. Um People often ask, what's your greatest achievement? And, you know, we've done world first, world records, you know, done the TV stuff, the Hollywood films, writing books. All that for me is meaningless compared to being a dad uh, and, and and to being a good dad as well and trying my best to um, to have a positive impact on my daughter's life and try to guide her and show her. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, 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 that's by far the greatest thing and my biggest source of inspiration uh, to, be a, to be a dad. I love it. I love it. 
Listen, sir, it's been a pleasure having you speaking to me this evening on uh, oh, on the you. podcast. It's been a fantastic conversation, and you know the stuff you do is massively inspirational. And and we we are extremely privileged to have you on here speaking to us. And I hope that our conversation tonight has a massive positive impact. I think that the world needs more people like you, and I think that um, listening to people like you speak on conversations like this really does have a massive impact because people will listen to it and they'll think shit he's just a normal guy like me maybe i'm gonna have a go at paddleboarding or maybe i'm gonna have a go at some running or maybe i'm gonna do something which is kind of different and is gonna is gonna really do something for someone less fortunate than me or someone else or whatever um but it's all about conversations that kind of expand people's mind and the possibilities they think that they have for themselves. Um, what's the best way for people to find out about you? Um, obviously, I will link up and publicise your uh, uh, paddle, your paddleboarding circumnavigation of the British of, uh, of the British Isles. Um, what's the best way for people to find out about you and what you're doing, Jordan? Um, well, firstly, Joe, thanks for having me on the show. It, it's been great to talk to you, and um, you know you're doing great things and. Um, I'm, I'm really uh, appreciate you listening to my story, um, you know, and hopefully we can together inspire somebody else to, to go and achieve their dreams or find their why or whatever it might be. Um, but in, yeah, please, please feel free to, to follow the journey. My, my website is jordanwiley.org um, or my social, all my social media handles are at Mr. Jordan Wiley. Um, and yeah. And, and, and if you're, if you're around the, the, the great Britain at any stage and I'm passing by, feel free to come and have a swim or a paddle. And um, we're going to post the, 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 the next 24-hour leg and journey every day while we're out there. So um, if anyone's about and they want to come and say hello, you'd be more than welcome. Um, please, please do. Excellent. We'll link it all up and stuff and that. And I wish you all the best on that journey. And I'm, I'm, you don't need luck. You don't need luck at all, really. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't believe in luck. I never believed in luck. I believe in hard work, determination, uh, graft and sacrifice and, 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 you know, following that dream. I don't... I, I, I don't. I think look for the lazy and the unprepared. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I wish you all the best, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Joe. Take care, mate. Cheers, Cheers man. Buddy. Take care. The word that comes to mind when I think about Jordan is selfless. And what comes through in speaking to him is a deep and enduring passion for the work and causes that he raises money for across the world. Not only that, but he's also extremely down to earth about some of his incredible feats and one of the most genuine guys I've ever spoken to. I took away tons from our discussion today, but a few of the things that sprung to mind are how you can truly leave your mark on the world, anywhere in the world, by your actions and vision. How meaning is so important and a feature of many of the guests I have on the podcast and the what can I give mindset that Jordan has harnessed to massive effect. Now, if you want to find out about Jordan, you can check out him on his website, which is jordanwiley.org. You can also check out the current expedition that he's on right now, which is the greatbritishpaddle.com. And on that website, you can track his progress as he circumnavigates uh, Great Britain on a paddle board. It's quite interesting seeing what he's uh, doing each day and the uh, mileage that he's covering. Uh, he's also on the usual uh, social media sites twitter instagram facebook and also youtube and if you want to check out the show notes to this website you can do so sorry to this episode even you can do so over at guildofdads.com if you want to hear more discussions just like this one today 
The best way to do it is by subscribing on your podcast player of choice, be that iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you subscribe, then you will uh, get to find out the podcast episodes that are coming up each week. They'll just pop up on your podcast player of choice. So that is the best way to hear more discussions like the one today. You can drop us a rating and review. That would be very much appreciated. But the biggest compliment that you can give to me is by just sharing this episode out however you want to, whether that be on WhatsApp, Messenger or text. The more information that can be shared out, it's really important as some of the information can be truly life-changing for dads that you may know. So if you can do that, that would be really fantastic and I would really appreciate it. You can get involved with the discussion on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter using the handle at Guild of Dads and check out our Facebook group to join the Guild. If you like what you hear and you want to email me, I love to hear from listeners. So ping me an email, joe at guildofdads.com. Let me know what you like, what you don't like and who you would like me to interview even. I'd love to know. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about what we're doing at Guild of Dads, then head over to www.guildofdads.com and in the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning.